the advantage of mRNA and RNA in general is that it can now exit the nucleus and can begin constructing the protein in a way that DNA cannot. DNA is locked in the nucleus. It is stuck. Before you were born, I consecrated you. I appointed you a prophet to the nations. That's Jeremiah 1, verse 5. Welcome to Biblical Anatomy. Excited to be here. As you can see on video, if you're watching video, there are some new podcasting equipment. Uh, still using the same uh, camera, but uh, a little different angle. Let me know if you like it or not. And a new microphone here. So it'll produce a different sound that I'm getting used to. And uh, let me know how that goes and how it sounds on your end. But excited to be here. Really blessed by what God has been able to provide for us uh, through this podcasting platform, as well as the equipment that we use to publish the message. Uh, we're trying to do the work that he calls us to do and nothing else, nothing more, nothing less. And Due to the experiences he's provided me in my life, I'm able to teach biblical anatomy and physiology as it should and uh, do so in a way that takes really complex topics and not only justifies them by providing a biblical connotation, which should be the only connotation, but also providing a simplistic point of view that does not degrade the subject nor separate student from instructor with complex terminologies. For those of you that take anatomy and physiology, maybe you're in your third or fourth week, and the topic we're going to talk about today, transcription and translation, has really got you down. Uh, it, it, it's an overwhelming process. I remember being there myself. And uh, maybe it's the complex terminology that's getting in your way. So perhaps today we can take this, we can create a hypothetical story, we can give you an analogy that would work for you, an analogy that we've all been through, and we can simplify this process. So let's do that. And that's going to be the benefit. Today's benefit is to discuss transcription and translation of human cells within biblical anatomy and physiology, but do so in a way that we can all understand. Well, I mentioned terms like codon and anticodon, of course, transcription and translation, uh, RNA polymerase and things of that nature. Yes, but we're going to make them simplistic and we're going to help you understand in a way that you're currently struggling with. And so our mission in that is to bring together Christians who seek to understand their biblical anatomy to connect science with scripture so we can better understand God's handiwork in our lives. So let's start with that story, shall we? This is a hypothetical story, but one that I want to walk you through so that you can best understand what transcription and translation is all about in the context of biblical anatomy and physiology. You've probably put an order in somewhere, probably hit submit on an online order, so you're familiar with that process. In a way, you're requesting, right? You're requesting a product or a service. Much in the same way, God has designed your body to respond cellularly in similar fashions. So a hormone may trigger 
activation of a cell to be provoked in a certain way, much like you putting in an order on your phone. When you put that order in, that small business then receives the order and it begins to assemble it. It begins to package it. Well, when a cell receives an order from a hormone or some other means, it is going to begin doing the same sort of thing in assembling what is needed and packaging what is needed. Your order is then packaged and shipped, and depending on how far or what methods are used for shipment, that package is going to go through multiple shipment centers. And guess what? Your cells do the same thing. They're going to ship that protein. They're going to ship that package to different areas of the cell or perhaps even outside of the cell. When you get the package, it's either going to arrive in the way that you hoped it would or it's going to arrive damaged. You could also say maybe denatured for another word for damage. And in that way, your cells work the same. A protein can be built and that protein can be built properly and useful, or that protein can be built improperly, denatured, and it can be disassembled, and the process can be restarted, similar to what you would do when going to request a refund or replace the item that was damaged. So when we're talking about transcription and translation, I want you to think of that simplistic story, and I want you to walk through your experiences with that story as it pertains to the order we're going to talk about here with transcription and translation. Transcription comes first, so we'll talk about that. As a Christian, likely you think of copying the Bible as a transcription. You've probably heard stories of the Bible being transcribed from one language to another, whether that be Hebrew to Greek or Greek to English, or even present day, the Bible is being transcribed to languages that it's not available in yet, far remote reaches of the earth. Later, we'll talk about translation, and with translation, my favorite translation of the Bible is the English Standard Version. Yours might be the New Living Translation, or the New International Version, or the New American Standard Bible. Those are all different translations. So these words work for us, transcription and translation, and provide yet another means beyond our story in which we can understand these processes a little bit more simplistically and more relatably. Now, with transcription, that is going to exist within the, within the nucleus, specifically within DNA of the nucleus. And what I'd like to establish is a habit of not saying acronyms I encourage you, yes, to know DNA. You can say DNA, but know that it means deoxyribonucleic acid. And even better, if you can say deoxyribonucleic acid instead of DNA, you're better off. A great example that I use all the time is ATP. You can say ATP semester after semester, but there'll probably become a point when you say ATP and you've forgotten at this point what it actually stands for, because you've said ATP so many times. It stands for adenosine triphosphate. So when I would read biological texts, kinesiology texts, things of that nature, 
and they would repeatedly say ATP or DNA or RNA, I would make sure that I read adenosine triphosphate or deoxyribonucleic acid or ribonucleic acid to ensure that I knew exactly what was being discussed rather than some acronym. If you go on further to various medical sciences like nursing, they're full of acronyms. And I suggest and challenge you to challenge them and what all these acronyms mean. Because some textbooks won't even say what it means anymore. For instance, like EKG. It just assumes that everybody knows an EKG as an EKG and not necessarily as an electrocardiogram. So challenge in that way to make sure your understanding is, is to its utmost. I digress from that. DNA, so deoxyribonucleic acid, is, think of a ladder. It's a double-stranded helix, translated basically in our analogy, it's going to be a ladder. Okay? Think of a ladder, you've got your two rails, and then you've got your rungs in between those rails. DNA is built basically the same way. Each section, part rail and part rung, is known as a nucleotide. And that nucleotide consists of a few parts. Our main focus is the rung, which is going to be the nucleate base. When you're talking about DNA, deoxyribonucleic acid, there are four nucleate bases that you have to concern yourself with. They are adenine, cytosine, guanine, and thiamine. There's one more nucleate base, but that is only to be concerned with RNA, which stands for ribonucleic acid. So the four nucleate bases that exist for RNA are adenine, cytosine, guanine, and uracil. So you can see that uracil replaces thymine, okay? Let's go back to the rungs, the analogy of rungs. We did want to establish what the names of those rungs were, but right now it's not super important. We just want to get the idea in our head of how the ladder is built, okay? You've received stimulus as a cell from, let's say, a hormone, and you need to act. You need to build a protein to rebuff, okay? In the instance of growth hormone, you need to build a protein so that the cell can grow as the way that it's programmed to. So we are going to stimulate the DNA within the nucleus to unravel, and that's done with a protein in itself called RNA polymerase. So again, RNA stands for ribonucleic acid polymerase. And so we're going to take that ladder, and it's twisted as a double helix, right? We're going to take that ladder, we're going to untwist it, we're going to break it apart, and now we've got two individual halves. Like if you took a saw right down the middle of a ladder, so you had a half ladder and a half ladder. We're now going to take these floating nucleate bases, the adenines, the cytosines, the guanines, the thiamines, the uracils, and we are going to take that half ladder that has, has those bases present, and we're going to begin to copy. The way it copies is sort of an opposite. The opposite pair, uh, whatever that may be, is going to link to the other side of the ladder, so to speak. And so by using opposites, there's only two answers, right? And that other answer is going to be a copy that will serve for us with an RNA. Once RNA is completely built, we refer to it as mRNA, which stands for messenger ribonucleic acid. The advantage of mRNA and RNA in general 
is that it can now exit the nucleus and can begin constructing the protein in a way that DNA cannot. DNA is locked in the nucleus, it is stuck, okay? So we're going to work our way out of the nucleus in the form of mRNA, messenger ribonucleic acid, and we are now in what's called the cytoplasm. Some textbooks will write it as the cytosol, means the same thing. The only alternative that comes up off the top of my head, being that a lot of my experiences in exercise science would be the sarcoplasm. Exercise scientists call the cytoplasm of muscle cells the sarcoplasm. So nevertheless, you're in the cytoplasm in whatever it may re be referred to as. You're now going to need to read those copied instructions, sort of those opposite instructions. And when you read those opposite instructions, you have to get back to the original copy, right? So it's a clever way of taking the original copy in an opposite, going out of the nucleus and being able to copy the original again. Really, mRNA is only, only useful for that purpose. By itself, the instructions are basically scrambled. It's, it's in a different language, sort of speak. And so to get it in a proper language that is useful in human anatomy and physiology, we have to once again go to the opposite. So with that, we will have another protein that we need called a ribosome. And ribosome is more accurately described as an organelle. It's a uh, functioning mini cell, if you will, within a cell. And mini cells, not super helpfully descriptive, but it's how it's sometimes described. It's not super helpful in the sense that it doesn't have its own nucleus and those sorts of things but it is a operant, something that operates within the cell itself. And it has a specific role, and here is the role. With its large subunit and small subunit, if you take your fists and put your fists together, it sort of opens up like a car crusher, if you will. And so the large subunit and the small subunit open up and mRNA flows through, and it, it stops and is read kind of like a typewriter typing a message across a piece of paper. And the ribosome is going to read section by section of mRNA to be able to then translate it, okay? Job is not quite done at this point. We don't have all the ingredients we need. We need one more major component, and that is something called tRNA, which stands for transfer ribonucleic acid. And that tRNA, is going to go within the ribosome and it is actually what is gonna be reading. Think of it as the key in the typewriter that actually strokes and puts ink to paper. So the ribosome by itself won't be able to do this. We need tRNA for this to be complete. A tRNA is, is, is also described as an anticodon. What is an anticodon? Well, it's the opposite of a codon. What is a codon? A codon is three, any three sequence of nucleate bases on RNA. And so as we're taking RNA and we're going through, specifically mRNA, and we're going through the ribosome, we are reading three nucleate bases at a time. And as we read those three nucleate bases, we have to have the proper anticodon in tRNA to be able to read that. And as you may have guessed, that tRNA has the opposite instruction from the mRNA. And a little by little, three at a time, we read each codon with its own specific anticodon. Now it's not the same tRNA that goes three by three, 
One comes in that's a perfect match, it reads, and another one comes in that's a perfect match and reads, and it goes one after the other, so on and so forth. Why tRNA is so important is because attached to it is an amino acid. And that specific amino acid is only triggered or activated when the corresponding codon and anticodon meet and trigger its production or its release. And so what happens is this amino acid is then produced through a porthole of the ribosome. And so as we continue to read mRNA, we then have tRNA one by one releasing an amino acid. And so this amino acid chain gets longer and longer and longer. We refer to it as an amino acid chain, but more properly, we should refer to it as a peptide unless we get above 50 amino acids, as we've talked about in a previous lecture. And then we refer to it as a protein. In the instance of a protein, once this entire translation process is done, ribosome detaches, there are no tRNAs that are needed, the code is finished, we then can take this protein and we allow this protein to fold. And it folds in a very unique way. If you're interested, just as a side topic, if you're interested in how proteins fold and how that can dispel the evolution theory, there's a great book called Believing is Seen by PhD Dr. Douglas Axe. And it does a great job of talking about this topic of protein folding and how this doesn't, it just doesn't happen by accident. There is system to it. This happens very organized, in a very organized fashion. But nevertheless, that's the process of transcription and translation. Again, we use some big terms there, and I do my best to avoid those big terms because I see from the professor's point of view, I see that that is a hurdle or a barrier for students oftentimes. I was in a class just last week, and we were talking about the renal system. And I mentioned a term called the juxtaglomerular apparatus. That's a mouthful, but it's something you get used to and you learn to pronunciate and you learn to attach its meaning and you learn what it is and what it secretes and what it responds to and all those things. We'll talk about that one day in a podcast, in a lecture uh, episode. Point of me mentioning this is not to confuse you, but to mention that students just like you in a live lecture checked out after that point. They heard some complex term and that was enough to basically take them mentally out of the lecture. Up until that point, they'd understand fully what I was speaking to, but one complex term checked them out for the rest of the lecture. Now we all have to battle against that and that temptation to sort of check out. And uh, I certainly hope that you do through this process, but as a professor, And a major reason why I'm creating this podcast is to take those complex terms and dumb them down as much as possible. Not dumb them down from an intellect standpoint, but dumb them down so it's no longer a barrier, so that you understand the concepts that are being applied in class. And often, as you know, I'm probably preaching to the choir, but often in these big lecture halls, we see instructors that are speaking in this doctoral language and not making any effort to bring it down or translate. I'll leave you with one last story, 
I teach a lot of nurses and I teach a lot of dental hygienists. And in those two professions, they both have the example of working with someone that has a PhD MD equivalent and speaks in a language and they've almost forgot how to speak in a normal language. Let's take the dental hygienist as an example. The dental hygienist is going to work with a dentist, right? And obviously there's going to be a patient there. So the three of them are there and the dentist is beginning to describe to the patient what the issue is or what work he or she is going to do. And through that process, you'll get a lot of head nods and sometimes some yeses and some noes and not, not a lot back and forth. A lot of just sort of pretending to acknowledge. After a few minutes, the dentist leaves and you can imagine what's the first thing to happen and that's the patient look at the dental hygienist and say, what on earth just happened? Like, what did he say? What did she say? And now the dental hygienist has to not only have understood what the dentist said, but also understand the language in which the, the patient can understand and translate, which is a difficult task to do. So understand when you're learning anatomy and physiology. And when I teach biblical anatomy and physiology, what I'm trying to do is I'm trying to, trying to take these complex terms that man has put in place for whatever reason to get everyone to understand because so often it serves as a division as opposed to a union between teacher and student. So transcription and translation are not the easiest terms. Their processes described here are not the easiest processes, but we've provided an analogy step-by-step step along the way. In fact, a number of analogies and sort of this hypothetical story to begin with to help you through this. So when you go back to class, you now have some armor that you are able to use to defend against this and this impulse to check out. And you now are better prepared for say week four, where you get begin to talk about some other cellular processes and you actually begin to start talking about different types of tissues. So I hope that we have served you in this way. I hope that we have provided something for you to utilize and feel more confident in learning anatomy and physiology from a biblical standpoint. If we look at that protein folding, it's obvious that we're not here by accident. God has created us specifically. Scientists observe this and they observe that over time. And oftentimes they like to give themselves credit. And that is absolutely ridiculous when God was the one who put everything in place and should be credited with every observation that we ever make in science. It is a fault of man to do otherwise. As we have always been, we are self-sponsored. Our website is biblicalanatomy.com. If you're interested in the subject material that we've spoken to today, I strongly suggest that you go to our website and you take a look at at least one of our mini courses. Let's say you want to learn more about cellular biology. Well, you can check out that mini course. Or if you want to learn about anatomy and physiology, you can look at a specific full semester or full year course and take a look at that to see how that can best serve you and your need or your interest. Tips and referrals are necessary for our podcast. We don't expect everyone to be able to give monetarily. If you are able to give monetarily, there's a link for tips in the description. There's also a link for our email in the description. 
And if you're not able to give monetarily, that's perfectly fine, but we would appreciate a review from you. In our other podcast, Discipleship Conditioning, which airs on Wednesdays, we received five really good reviews in the month of July. And what we saw was an incredible spike in viewership thereafter. So I'm not familiar with what the algorithm is. I understand the way that God has designed our body pretty well, but I do not understand social media algorithms or podcast algorithms. All I know is that once we received those five reviews, we sort of saw, not a skyrocket, but we saw a bump in viewership. And so we ask for those reviews at the least to keep this show going and to keep us funding this show in a way where we get new equipment and we can continue to broadcast different topics. That being said, I already mentioned that our email is in the show notes. You can click on that and and speak to us directly. It's the fastest way to get a hold of us, even faster than social media. And if you have a topic that is confusing you in your lecture and you'd like to speak to it or like me to speak to it, I would be happy to design an episode based on the topic material that is causing a struggle for a number of students. So our take-home message today is that transcription and translation are some of the most difficult concepts present within biblical anatomy and physiology, specifically that it's often presented in the first few weeks as an introduction to anatomy and physiology. But we have stories, and we learn so well with stories. So how can you use stories and analogies to remember this content to the best of your ability? And research would tell you that if you can remember through story, that is going to help you increase and shift that learning from short-term to long-term so that in years to come, you remember this. And it's not something you just regurgitated for a midterm. What's the point of taking a class if all you're going to do is regurgitate for a test to get a specific letter grade? When you look back years later, you don't remember anything about the course. You may not even remember your grade. If you pull your transcripts up, you can find it. But what's the point of taking the course if there's not something you're going to pull from it and become a better student and learn through the process and it's going to remain with you over time? This is a unique challenge because not everybody, in fact, most people, do not work in the area in which they studied, specifically their undergraduate studies. So I challenge you, if you're taking anatomy and physiology, especially if it's a class that is presented as a barrier for you that you really don't want to take, but you understand God's role in our lives and you want to learn more about how he designed us, use these stories, use these analogies so that you can best understand his work to the best of our ability long term. As we always do, let's conclude with the Lord's Prayer. Pray then like this, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Amen.